anything is like everything in our lives is a ritual from washing your dishes to brushing your teeth to walking your dog. It's just that when we do it with an unconscious uh, posture, it's just another thing. But if we do it with some kind of demarcation that this is set apart from the rest of my day, that this is actually meaningful in a certain way, then we build a string of moments that actually mean something and create a life that is meaningful and filled with purpose. And that's the key to happiness. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Sound Iron Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Peters. And today on the podcast, we have a special guest. If you're not familiar with A.D. Bell, she is an American vocalist, pianist, film composer, and she even does a little bit of acting. In this podcast, we talk with her about her musical background and coming from a musical family, creative and lucrative ways of getting your music out into the world, how she goes about the songwriting process. We also talk about thoughts on meditation, life perspectives, and so much more. So without further ado, here's the podcast with A.D. Bell. Welcome again to the Sound Iron Podcast. Uh, This is Mike Peasley. I'm here with our uh, master of communication, Craig Peters, and the illustrious A.D. Bell, the featured vocalist in our new Voice of Wind 80 library. It's a modular solo vocal library that uh, features equal parts um, chromatic articulations like true legato, sustains, and staccato for a variety of vowels, plus a whole lot of phrases, uh, live dynamic phrases and melodic uh, elements divided up by key and uh, style and tempo uh, with a really powerful UI that is meant to let you control all of those things. So today we wanted to talk to Aidy about, well, her voice, her, where she's coming from and, and, and what makes her voice unique uh, and yet sort of really instru- you know, instantly compelling. I think this is easily one of our best vocal libraries yet. Uh, Thank you, so Mike. Lem- well, Appreciate that. It's, it was awesome to work with you. So, uh, yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank and uh, Craig, why don't you uh, get the ball rolling with uh, some questions? So uh, you were telling me you were you're, you live in Ashland, Oregon, right? How is it up there right now? I do. Oh, the smoke just cleared out from the wildfires, and so we have life back again. Yeah, I heard there was um, a bunch of crazy fires up there. Well, there's been fires all over the Pacific Northwest and California as well, but we we're situated in the valley so that it collects a lot of smoke. So we had some pretty hazardous uh, wind air conditions for almost two months. It was brutal. Yeah, <laughs> was I mean, crazy. we got it all the way down here. I don't know if you got it, got it down in Southern California, Craig, but yeah, I mean, the air was, you couldn't even go walking outside. It was yeah, no, I've, we've got masks on and it's pretty intense, you know, a lot of shifts going on, but we, um, I mostly hunkered down, stayed in the studio, got some work done. I got, I got to escape a few times, go camping and stuff. We went up to the Umpqua River, just kind of coping with it, but I'm definitely planning for some tours next summer so that I just, I don't know if it's going to keep happening this way or what's going to happen, but I'm just preparing, you know. To get out of town if need be. Yeah, it actually significantly um, affected my vocal range and my, and my lungs, as you can imagine. You know, just oh, no not, doubt. No. not yeah. wanting to breathe deeply was a big issue, just a lot of shallow breathing. <clears throat> so I think I lost, you know, temporarily, because I can get it back, but I lost, you know, a good um, a good amount of my power and sustainability and, and velocity as a vocalist. Yeah, no I fun. mean, I think it, it's, it's kind of actually incredible how 
when we think of instruments, you know, nobody's bats an eye about hearing that a violin is susceptible to, to moisture or conditions, but the human voice is really dependent on your health. It's and such your a temperamental beast. Yeah. <laughs> I talked yeah, to other you vocalists sick, about... you can't sing. And... Yeah, you get sick, you can't sing. And your voice also, not, not even um, when you're sick, but it changes day to day. You know, depending on what's going on, it'll actually, you know, you'll lose some notes on the top or the bottom. And vocalists, we sit around, we talk about how temperamental the instrument is. And it's like kind of like talking to a cat. You're always just like, what do you need? You know, how can you know, how can I make you happy right now? So it's it's always a challenge. It, it, and, it, it, and that fact actually directly affects how we record. I mean, that's one of the reasons that when we do vocal sessions, we do these marathon sprints in a very short couple of days that are really hard on you the singer yeah because the, your voice does change so much from day to day that to be able to mix and match voices you know the same voice from different sessions it it, it can sound it just doesn't you know same microphone same room nothing can change and yet the voice is, it's just slightly just a different enough that when you're you're comparing them side by side it's like oh, it's just uh, it doesn't click yeah, isn't that interesting? In fact, I've been telling people about the the new Sound Iron Library coming out, and people are all excited. It's one of the things when I try to describe what it is, they're like, "What? What? What is the product? I don't understand." <laughs> and I tell them, you know, it's. I think, and I've gigged for over ten years as a one woman show, all kinds of shows, all kinds of inside and out, outside conditions, and I think working with Sound Iron and uh, was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Yeah, I mean, that, it's no, it's great. I've, I feel accomplished <laughs> afterwards. I'm like, OK, I did that. So I feel proud of my work, but it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like going through it's all the things that you, you know, did when you first began singing, you know, like scales and and rudiments and basic things over and over again. And it's you think, oh, this will be easy. Well, in yeah, one 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 time, but <laughs> to hit those same notes over and over, and and I mean, and and we, you know, I I'm a singer too, so I, and I've I've been through that that same grinder, um, and uh, it, it's it's tough because you're thinking because you are you're surfing the human voice. You're, you've got to figure all right. If I spread it out over too many days, the voice is going to change. Mm -hmm. And if I, but if 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 you can't you can't do it all at once it's like trying to balance like the limits of it's a you know how to how to pace the the marathon right so that it ends up working but um well i'm excited to see how it worked out yeah yeah <laughs> so and, and, far so far the demos we've been getting have been amazing like right. they're just and they all tend to fit this very ethereal sort of like you know cuz the your vocal style is super emotional mm -hmm. so it just kind of comes forth through the library and it, i think it just kind of resonates with people being able to sort of uh make that kind of music or music where it sort of like fits with that really well and like like i've been listening some of the tracks i've been getting i listened to a few times because i'm like man it like calms me down mm. <laughs> like it's very relaxing sounding but cool. it, yeah so it's been really cool to hear what people are doing with it yeah i can't wait to hear it um moody vibey femi vocals are very um they're very popular right now so i'm excited to lend my voice to other people's projects and see what they come up with yeah and it it's uh it's kind of interesting how many different styles of music you can kind of create with one common sort of vocal feeling 
you know, you oftentimes, you know, we'll get demos back and it's, it's like radically different directions. Right. So, I mean, the, the, these things can work in any style of music, uh, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, your voice, I think what really worked exceptionally well about it was it's extremely tonally consistent, but it doesn't, it's not forced and it's not rigid. Uh, you're a really well-controlled singer that at the same time has a lot of, lot of, I, I think, um, textural depth. You know, it's not a thin voice. You have a very full voice, but at the same time, it's not uh, overly kind of heavy in the mm. mix. So it cuts. It cuts through, and it, but yet feels clean. It's not harsh. It's, it's a really well-balanced tone. Wow. Thank you. What a good compliment. <laughs> I, I'm beaming <laughs> I've been listening to the Silver Wheel recently, which is uh, your newest release, and yes. I really love the combination of the like more classical style piano and also a lot of the other styles that you do on the piano, and just like this really cool combination of that kind of classical sound with this very lyrical feel. And I wanted to kind of go back a little bit and talk about sort of how you started with music and sort of what drew you to you know singing and playing piano and just kind of the uh the origins of it ah the origin story it's a good story i was blessed to have uh two parents who were musicians so my mother and father were both concert organists and choir masters they actually met at the university of redlands in san francisco or in california as pipe organ uh, majors which is super rare It's sort of a dying instrument, you know, it's a dying breed. It was dying even then in their time. Um, So uh, we've always had a piano in the house. And the story goes that as early as, you know, three, three and a half, I was just gravitated to the piano and I just sat right down and I was like, yep, this is it. This is my spot. I know what I'm doing. And um, I started just singing and composing music at an early age, just kind of having fun as a an emotional oasis. It really became my refuge into my own little world. If you've ever sat down at a piano, I know a lot of people who, whether they're musicians, consider themselves musicians or not, sitting down at the piano and just working a melody out sort of envelops you in a realm. And that was my spot. That was my zone. So I was classically trained um, in school all through the years. And then right around teen years, when I was like 13, 14, I really just started getting into writing my own stuff. Um, My father was very adamant that I would go to, you know, conservatory for for music because that's the only way. He would always say that, um, you know, reading music was the what separates the man from the beast. So there is truth to that. (laughs) There is absolutely. So I I'm definitely on the beast side. (laughs) I like a little beast with my with my man. I gotta say, Um, but I I I was sure that that wasn't my path. Uh, I had no interest in, like, academia, the world of school was just really frustrating for me because I was bored. I was, I, I'm not into that, that format of learning. So I didn't go to school for music. Uh, college, that's, that, that's what I mean by going to school. And it sort mm-hmm. of created a rift between my father and I for many years. Um, and I just started doing my own thing. I actually dropped out of high school at 10th grade and got my good enough diploma 
I went to beauty school thereafter and became my own working woman. So from 18, I've been working for myself as a self-employed hairdresser doing music on the side. That was sort of my backup plan. It was like, well, I'm going to do hair and maybe I'll, you know, pursue my own music. So I did that for a couple years and had a really good time um, in which doing hair full time and practicing my piano and doing my own composition actually started to take a toll on my tendons and I developed tendonitis uh. in one of my arms, which was one of those, um, they say crisis brings birth. And in that crisis, I very distinctly heard a message from spirit or creator or whatever you want to call that said, you know, you have a choice. Do you want to be hairdresser or do you want to be musician? And I was like, <gasps> And that's what really propelled me into um, doing music as a career. So watching my parents be career musicians, I always said, I'll never do that. You know, they work so hard and they barely make ends meet and they're always, you know, juggling all these gigs. My father was also in a Dixieland ragtime band and play, you know, they just did all the everything and it just seemed so stressful and I didn't want anything to do with that. <laughs> And I also wanted money, and we didn't seem to have a lot of that either. So pursuing a professional musician career, was very I was very reluctant. Um, one of the other reasons that I really didn't want to do it is because I never wanted to take my... My songs are really more like my children. They're like creations. They live on their own. And I didn't see myself putting them in a scenario where I had to perform them to make ends meet. It seemed like a very high price to pay as an artist. And I was like, I was pretty sure that's not what I wanted to do. But I don't know. I just ended up doing it anyway <laughs> because it feels so good. It's my calling, you know. Um, yeah. So... Over the last 10 years, I've really experimented like with what kind of venue suits my particular craft. And as you listen to Silver Wheel specifically, it's very, um, it needs context. When I, when I give someone my album or they purchase the album, I say, you know, these are the directions for use. The directions for use are put good headphones on, clear out some space, you know, sit somewhere quiet, like actually take a moment to be with the music. And yeah. it'll, because it's a journey. So that I play, you know, mostly house concerts and private parties. I do some like festival stuff, some more, you know, bigger gigs things as well. But really, my music is meant to be sat down and like, in, you know, immersed in. Internalized. So, yeah. So I've been really working for the last, you know, the whole time figuring out like, where do I fit in this world where our music culture is so, you know, loud and BPM and like nightclub style. I just, I was like, where do I fit? in this whole thing and it's been quite an adventure following my bliss you know following the calling mm -hmm. and uh resisting the temptation to give up and and all that stuff but I'm glad that I have kept with it because it's my joy like I said it's really it's what I love to do the most that's awesome how do you so so we, you know you mentioned before that that playing in clubs uh going through that 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 sort of ordeal yeah. We've all been, we all, you know, have been through that, that process. Um, and then you said that alternately you, you do a lot of uh, private events, like private shows, mm -hmm. house parties, things like that. Um, how do, how do those things compare to each other? Like, what do you think, um, d does, does doing, you know, small, smaller gigs like that, where it's more sort of 
purpose oriented. It's not, you're not just background music. How does that, um, do you think that that works well? Is that something perhaps that maybe other musicians should think about looking for opportunities? To oh, work? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the house concert circuit is starting to become more popular and more alive because all artists want to be listened to. It's like nobody wants to play background music while someone's having dinner. Nobody and wants nobody to wants do that. To go, yeah. And clubs are really honestly a terrible place to go hear music. Oh, they're a terrible place. I'm In my opinion, for everything. It's not, I can't talk and have a conversation with someone when everything's so loud the volume wars that are occurring right now and the our culture's um obsession with with like more everything's more and louder and like fiercer and drop the beat it's like god it's very aggressive <laughs> you know yeah. it's like whoa like it's like it i imagine you know our culture of music to be some, somewhat like a very loud boisterous like new york family where everyone's sort of talking over each other you know and no one's really listening to each other it's frustrating but the house concert circuit and uh, private parties and things like that are, are I think becoming much more popular because people are looking for a way to connect and to listen to music again hmm. um, and it's easy to do easy-ish I mean <laughs> I hate I hate it when someone says oh honey it's just so easy because you're like yeah it's easy for you not for me mm-hmm. Um, but getting, you know, getting a small group of people, finding the, like a place, like a town that you would, that you've got a super fan. So are you familiar with the concept of super fans? Like basically subscribers, essentially. Right. So a super fan, I think that's definition is a person that would be willing to spend a hundred dollars a year on you, whether mm. it's, you know, music tickets or merch or whatever it is. So you want to collect these super fans and then find out where, you know, where they live. And so you would go to a little town where your super fan would say, I want to host you at my house. And so you set up at their house. They do all the promotion because they're inviting their community. They're inviting their friends to come share this experience. And you set up a couple of those and bada bing, bada boom. It's way more lucrative than any of the, like, the club gigs that I've performed anyways. I mean, most clubs don't really, you know, they're not really um, music promoters. They're more like get people in the door so we can sell drinks. Yes, yeah. but do you get drink tickets at the at these private shows? <laughs> do I get drink tickets? Oh, honey, <laughs> I get treated like royalty. No, that's funny. It's like that. I, I, how many shows have we all, you know, played where the payment is drink right? Tickets? Totally, and a meal. Oh, I, I used to live off of that. Amelia, if and you're lucky. You, yeah, no, no, yeah. If, if it happened to have like a pizza by the slice place installed in it. I sort of targeted in those days when I was playing those gigs, I sort of, I targeted more wine, wine bars, actually. See, yeah, the kinds of music that, that Craig or I were playing, that they don't do that. There. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're lucky <laughs> if you're on sleeps. tour and you get a per diem or something. Like, <laughs> oh, food? Oh, great. Yeah, totally. I love a sandwich. Because we got peanut butter and jelly in the back of the van, man. I've been yeah. there. You're lucky, yeah, you're lucky if all the PA speakers actually work. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, well, it also, it also helps being a one-woman show because... You know, less people to pay, less people to feed. That's true. So that was one of the perks. Although I have an, I've just uh, this year, um, I'm collaborating with an ensemble. Nice. Oh, nice. And that's, uh, they're featured on the Silver Wheel, the record that we just put out this March. What instrumentation? 
so we've got me with the solo piano and vocals, and then my friend James Hoskins on cello, and he's an absolute, talk about bridging the man with the beast. He makes <laughs> that cello sound like, like whale sounds and jaguars, and like we have so much fun, he and I. He and I, I, I would call he and I like the meat and potatoes of the, of the ensemble. Uh, and then I have two vocalists, vo female vocalists, and a percussionist. And the percussion ranges from, you know, kind of like a hip-hop beat, like on Devastatious, one of the tracks on my Silver Wheel. That was Matthew Krimmelman on percussion. And it ranges from, you know, kind of a straight-up feel to hand drums and sort of more organic sounds. We sort of, we, we play a lot with the percussion, more of an orchestral feel. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think I yeah. noticed that on the first track, uh, the, the song Ladylike, where it starts off with piano, and then I noticed some little string elements coming in. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, it, Yeah. That, that makes sense now that you said that you're bringing in an ensemble. It sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. The only, the only kerfuffle with that is that James Hoskins, my cellist, my potatoes, if you will, lives in Boulder, Colorado. So we're trying to figure out how to do enough visits to where we can collaborate. And we're also working on getting an online situation so that, you know, we can just send tracks back and forth and really like still work on things even when we're apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really, uh, an opportunity slash problem, uh, in general for people is mm -hmm. fast enough bandwidth for one, but, uh, just a, a good way. I mean, there are so many good audio cards and mics and stuff. It's, they're really, you know, it'd be great to see more kits that sort of handle mm. all the things you would need, including a little bit of sound treatment and everything. Cause I mean, I think so many more people could be making their own music. They don't realize how doable it is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do live in such a lush technological age as a, as an artist, as a musician specifically, it's like we have so many tools. I bet I could pick your brain about that too, because I'm looking for an online format to where he and I can just throw tracks up and just work on them. Um, and what would be really cool someday is to actually be able to, like, you know, via the internet, practice. I don't even know if they have that yet. It, it, you know, that's definitely got to be something that, that comes. It's, yeah. We're not there yet because there's the latency issue. Exactly. Latency really, just you know, kills it. Even 5G won't quite get us there because, I mean, think about trying to perform with somebody with like a 100 millisecond delay. It would be right. maybe if you're all on different instruments, it yeah. could work. No, it's pretty impossible, though. I mean, we yeah. are asking a lot of of our technology, though. I we mean, should. we're like, we we're should. like, I'm going to send my signal up into space and hit that satellite and back down to you. And I want it to have it now. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny how some people get so upset when their text takes oh, God, three seconds to go through instead of one second. It's like, <laughs> do you understand where it's going? Yeah. <laughs> and how far away that is? Is I don't know how close we are. I mean, obviously, the technology's got a ways to go, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the new newer technologies that involve quantum entanglement to send data, well, not sending data yet, but to at least verify data for encryption is one way. But uh, it'd be really interesting to see if we see that unfold where you have sort of nodes that use quantum entanglement across vast distances mm. to just bridge that gap. You know, yeah. Maybe your local ISP has some sort of uh, you know quantum system that can send the information across you it'd probably be pretty complicated and it's not just one little quark that you know is entangled with one other it'd be a whole bunch of stuff to send actually the kind of data we're talking about because that's wow audio. it's pretty heavy you're blowing, but, a, but, you're blowing so awesome. my mind right now <laughs> you're blowing but, I mean, my mind like, quantum entanglement 
<laughs> well, those kind of technologies are creeping forward. And, and yeah. you know, that's because that's really what we're talking about. Real, true online collaboration requires zero latency. Right. And at least in, in terms of, I mean, obviously, we're talking right now live over the Internet. But you know, to play I mean, music together, it'd be a little trickier. But we'll yeah. get there. We'll totally get there. Step one is just like getting the home studios set up and dialed to where yeah. artists like James, who's not super tech savvy, you know, can really figure out just, you know, drop the MP3 in, hit record, send it back. <laughs> so we're just we're yeah. just working on stuff like that. But I feel confident that it's all unfolding perfectly and really excited for 2019's rollout of um, the, the ensemble's name, by the way, is Venus Exalted. So Venus Exalted will have a lot of uh, shows next year, and we're really excited to to bring it to the world. Where are you going to play? Cool. Do, you, do you already have any uh, locations lined up? Well, I've, uh, I only have a few. I'm actually doing an online. Okay. I have a show that I do every month called Wishcraft, and it has a correlation with a very particular moon phase. If you've been listening, Craig, you were listening to Silver Wheel. Silver Wheel is very, has a very um, interesting concept behind it. Um, Silver Wheel is also the name of uh, the wheel of the lunar and solar procession. And so basically the eight songs on Silver Wheel correspond to eight different feminine archetypes and lunar phases and what they call the holy holidays of the year, which is the pagan holy holidays, which fall on the solstices and equinoxes. Um, so it's sort of a, each song is a prophetic confession from the archetype's point of view, illuminating one woman's journey through the entire cycle and the wheel, as well as her own month, which is what we're calling, um, when we talk about a woman's menses, her 28-day cycle. So it's all tied into one. This is like the history and the legend and the mythology behind what I've been putting together for Silver Wheel. Mm -hmm. So Wishcraft is a uh, monthly show that we do here in Ashland, and the next one is October 12th, and we're going to be this time filming it and turning it into a sort of like a, a webisode. And the concept behind Silver, or uh, excuse me, Wishcraft is about intention. It seems to me that in our culture, we've sort of lost that social participation, that sort of um, collective gathering where we, we hold each other's hearts on the altar of our, of our community. And we expose ourselves to the vulnerability of being alive. And similar to how church used to bring us together under one cause, science and our new day and age, you know, most people aren't into church. People don't want to go to church anymore. We're not into the dogmas and the rules and all that stuff. So this yeah. is not church. This is an opportunity to come and be held within the context of music. Music is the vehicle and divination is the tool. So I bring, um, I do oracular divination and I'm, I actually have live audience members pull a card. And during the show, I sort of give them the very you know, short synopsis of the download of their card, you know, the, the themes and the archetypes and the message behind it. And then each card sort of informs the next piece of music that I play. Oh, nice. So, 
So we're weaving in personal divination that also speaks to the community, and now we're going to start filming it. So I'm starting the first one in October. I'm going to run it through the winter into early spring and probably take a break around March to just sort of reassess. And then we'll see um, who's going to host Venus Exalted next year. Probably a house concert circuit, like I said, because it's so lucrative and it's really like the best place to play. But we are looking at, there's a, a venue here in Ashland called The Green Show, which is uh, every night in the summer. It's a free live show. There's, you know, a thousand people that come or more because it's around the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is a super amazing opportunity, incredible theater program that we have here in Ashland. Um, as well as the Brit, which is an outside amphitheater, huge, big acts always come to the Brit every year. We're putting in our application. We'll see. We might get uh, we might get an opener next year, as well as the Glastonbury uh, Goddess Conference, which happens every year in Glastonbury, England. So we're we're gonna see what you know. We're gonna see if they accept us. It's kind of always like a, you know, as an independent artist, you put your dice in the cup and you shake it around, you roll it out and you go, okay, you know, mm -hmm. let's see what happens. So we'll be doing a house concert, probably the East, East and West Coast, hopefully. We're trying to get everything put together. But as you know, being an entrepreneur it, and startup, yeah. it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, you figure it out as you go. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I think but making it a webisode like that, uh, means that anybody can see it so yeah it's accessible i think the always what's challenging about that but obviously i think now technologically we are also at a place where that's much more possible the biggest flaw with small live venues and events like that is the complexity of the sound mix mm -hmm. and the and the quality of the video feed so getting good lighting a good yeah. camera Absolutely. that has a good uh you know sort of overall frame of the shot so it doesn't feel like it's like a cable access show basically yeah, exactly and having another we're going to start out small we've got a two camera deal actually the camera that we're using right now is a 1080p hd web thing so that'll probably be the the steady cam on the tripod and then we'll have a handheld just for for all that mm -hmm. and cut it together i, I really wanted to feel like a living room we're going to mm -hmm. be using a uh, sylvia massey studio sylvia massey is an incredible producer She's oh, been yeah. around. She's got her studio now here in Ashland. And she tours the world. She's off in Prague and um, she's going to New Zealand and she's all over Europe. She's going down into South America. She and I met when I came up here and I played her Silver Wheel, the original raw tracks, because I was like, what am I going to do with these? Like, I need I need help fleshing it out. So Sylvia mixed and co-produced the very first song on Silver Wheel, which is called Ladylike. It's also the single. And she's just an amazing woman. She's She wants to promote local and, um, you know, local acts so her studio is called studio divine and she and her partner are just like 80 take the studio what do you want what are you gonna do so nice. that's where we're gonna film wishcraft for our first one that's and we're great. gonna go through the neve you know the famous neve console so i feel mm -hmm. i feel like it's it's a really great opportunity to collaborate yeah it sounds like it'll sound really good i hope so that's what we're that's what we're praying for Oh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, was like you have a very metaphysical and spiritual vibe. And I think that's really cool. And um, other than sort of the concept behind Silver Wheel, what would you say you draw as far as inspiration for your lyrics and sort of, I guess, what you want to say with a lot of your music? Because it seems like it's very personal and, uh, you know, sort of like uh, I've seen some videos of you where you're talking about sort of being like, 
um, you know, an instrument for, you know, projecting sort of these different feelings for people who maybe are, uh, it's a little bit harder for them to kind of connect with. Mm. Um, so with your lyrics sort of, uh, what would you say is kind of your feelings and like what you're trying to say sort of through your lyrical writing? That's an awesome question. Um, so instead of writing a song, I consider it like catching a song. Um, I always start with the melody with the piano because the piano is like my lover. The piano is where two become three. And from there, usually melodies start erupting and coming out and I, I usually just sing whatever comes out. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's no, um, there's no real words defined in that moment. Usually there are the exception, uh, the exceptional song that comes th through like a lightning bolt and it, all of the pieces are right there in that moment and it's like a miracle. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just brought that through. Um, so I, I feel like it, it's, it's more like... Um, like receiving a transmission or catching a song that was already wanting to be born. I just happened to be practicing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually weave in elements of obviously my personal story because a lot of the uh, words that come to me are usually mantras or advice. It feels like advice from the other side that's for me. Mm -hmm. And and I just start weaving that in, like, what do I need to remember right now? Like, what is what's pertinent and um, personal for me? The lucky thing, I think, in my lyrics is that they happen to resonate with other people. So when I started singing my music for other people, I thought that they wouldn't understand because it is so personal because it seems like it's just for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems that it's also transpersonal and that it's um, themes that are big enough so that all of us can feel the resonance of, of, the, of the message. Mm -hmm. So, um, some lyrics come, I'm an avid reader. I usually read about, well, I, I read hard copy, like three books and listen to two. I'm usually about a five book at a time girl. And so I always take notes down from, you know, the different kinds of books that I'm reading, everything from fiction to non I mean, I, I like to have a nice sampler platter of like what I'm consuming in my uh, intellect. And a lot of quotes and ideas and themes arise out of the subject matter that I read. Um, but yeah, I think that... Um, the, the more I pay attention to just opening up my field of, of influence, I'm very disciplined about uh, social media and newspapers and radio and even the music I listen to. Over the years, I just become much more um, selective about what I allow in uh, my sphere of influence because I mm -hmm. notice that our subconscious just picks up so much information. And, oh, in yeah. our, and in our world, we're bombarded all the time with so much stimulus and it's, it's overwhelming. That's why I choose to live in a small mountain town because <laughs> I need what I call like ample psychic space. Mm. Um, so I do a lot of what I would call entrainment with the earth. Like my, my best lyrics, my most poignant moments of what wants to come through me as far as, uh, lyrics to a melody come when I'm in the woods because I, I've space. I'm not, I'm not feeling like, a you know, imp like there's too many impressions upon me. 
So I like to think that spirit's talking to me and talking to me about not only what's up for me personally, but what we're all sort of feeling as a collective, as a human consciousness on the planet. Um, and then, of course, it's got a little bit of a divot. I, I definitely have a specificity into the woman's experience um, and all of the lessons that I've been taught through being a woman and having a womb. What would you say is that if, if you were to have to put it into one, you know, one sentence or one simple concept, what would you say it is that it that everybody sort of is feeling? What, if you could encapsulate hmm. or, or, or needs, what if there's one sort of thing, one problem, what would you call it? Hmm, that's that's really juicy. I like that question. I mean, what what immediately arises is that we're witnessing the death and rebirth of of our times. We're lit, we're witnessing and what I would call midwifing a brand new era. What a or could be called a, a paradigm of consciousness. Um, human consciousness is just we've got to this point and we're rolling over to the next one, and it's scary because. Everything is changing, and as creatures of habit, change is scary. So there's a lot of fear around what we're losing, what's going away. There's a lot of anxiety about what, about what's coming, the unknown. Um, most people I've worked with either in divination or with music or healing, is there's just a lot of fear and anxiety about relaxing into not knowing. We like to know but we can't mm -hmm. know, especially at this very precious time on the planet. And we want to take responsibility for how we're showing up on the planet and how we're contributing to the good and the bad. And we're also surrendering to the fact that none of us can get along. Will we ever get along? I don't know. So it's, it's a very um, tense time of if you wanted to liken it to a woman giving birth, you know, it's scary. I don't know if you've ever been there for a birth. I think, Mike, you've got kids. You were there, yeah, right? Yeah, I was there for those. Obviously, I mean, obviously, I didn't go through the first. First were, person experience, right? But at even least, as, uh, on the on the mother side, but yeah. But even being witness to a woman giving birth, it's, it's scary. <laughs> You're, it's not like, oh great, the baby's coming. It's like, oh my god, are we gonna make it? <laughs> and sometimes you, well, yeah, and often you, 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 your fear is that. It won't go that well. And it won't go that well, right? Because we we fear any um, versions of normal. We don't like variations of normal. We like it to be normal. <laughs> if it's normal, then we can predict what's going to happen. We know, you know, we can hedge well, our bets. Kai, well, more more to the point, death is normal, and but that's one part of normal that is really like as a new parent, you're that's I've never been so afraid in my life is just mm. watching your own kids be born because you yeah. Until they're in your arms, you're not convinced it's all going to go to plan. Absolutely. And the plan being just that they're there. Right. That they're alive, you know? Well, and to just elaborate real quick on what you just said that was so poignant, death is normal, but in our culture, we are scared of death. We don't have a good relationship with death, which is another huge theme of what I sing and write about. Mm -hmm. Because I want to reckon with it. I'm scared of death. You know, that's what I write about. So I'm trying to feed myself with information and insight and healing so that I can really reckon it too. So until our relationship with death and even more to the point, 
around that, which is the relationship to infinity, into eternity, into who we are beyond these mortal forms, until that really transforms and we start to become more, I would say, mature around it, we are going to be white knuckling this shit the whole way down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Here's what I, here's what I think <laughs> the fundamental trap we've, we've all fallen into is. When we think of eternity, we were all raised in some way or the other, one religion or other, to believe that there is eternal life or eternal darkness or nothing, depends on where you came from, but that it's forever. And so we're in this race. Because if you believe in the hereafter in terms of like a never-ending life, you it's, it's almost like we've convinced ourselves that, all right, get as much as I can, do as much, like, I don't mean do as much. I mean, like, get as much, have as much stuff as I can. Be as, like, successful as I can because somehow when the lights turn out, that's going to be my forever. Right. That, like, it's it's sort of like, well, all right, I got to, you know, figure out how high I can rise before I, before the light, you know, before, you know, that my, my number's called. We don't ever think that, well, no, what eternity means is eternal change. Death is change. Rebirth is change. All is change. And and what you're saying about this cyclical sort of event in our in 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 the world society, all societies are going through it right now. It seems because we're so interconnected culturally now mm-hmm. that nothing is isolated. No country is isolated anymore. We are all in it together. Unfortunately, I think for the greater. But at this moment, it's a it's certainly a, a difficult transition. Yeah. And what is keeping it difficult? What is making it difficult? is that so many of us just won't let it change, just won't let ourselves be changed by it. Mm, We're just not letting go. We're not letting go. Yeah, there's a lot of resistance. And the irony being letting go, and what are we hanging on to? A system that that enslaves us? Right. I mean, it's not like the change is going to mean that, okay, tomorrow we're going to check in and have an entirely different society, but more to the point, we just need to accept the world we have accept the problems that we actually have to face and start solving them Hmm. without pretending because so many of the the problems that are here, the reason we won't acknowledge them is because they give lie to things we've gotten so attached to. Like we can burn as much oil as we want. We can eat as much food as we want. We can do whatever we want as long as we want without limit, without even consideration of what happens on the other side as our world burns. Well said. So there's a song on Silver Wheel called Remind Her. And it's just about that. The, the chorus of the piece is love is letting go. So letting go of expectation, letting go of our, you know, wants and desires, our immediate needs, our, our addictions and all this. And it, um, the song is really about, you know, someday we're going to die. So what does that mean? You know, what, what, what does that mean for you now? I find in my travels that the people that I really resonate with, the ones that I would call wholehearted, you know, grounded, real individuals have had some kind of brush with death in that they realized the preciousness of the moment and they've decided to sort of embody it in a much more um, mature way than people who, like you just said, think that they can do anything at any time, whenever. So going back to the original question, which is what is the theme that we're all up to right now, is that. It is like, what is my life about? And how do I embrace this change? How do I, birth, how do I be part of the birth of the, new, of the new era that we're living in? And I feel like the world that we live in now is going to be so different in just even 
15 years, we're all mm-hmm. going to, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to witness incredible, incredible changes in our lifetime. So um, bringing people back into their heart centers, being, bringing people back into what I would call common sense is, is paramount right now because when you get stuck in your head, that's when the fear, you know, like a, like Dune, fear is the mind killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, yeah, call, call your parents, call your brothers and sisters, not to yell at them, not to argue with them about politics. No, just talk to them. Yeah. Start seeing them more. People right. just get together. Yes. That's all. People get together, you know, make a pot of soup, bring it to your neighbor, like sharing food, sharing music. You know, people used to, before music was recorded, everyone would sit around the piano or the drums or, you know. So in our technological age that is so fast, we've really sort of steered away from that and thinking that communicating with our gizmos is the answer. But I know that it's everything, the pendulum swings, you know, the spiral comes around again and people are starting to wake up to that, which is really beautiful, especially for us live musicians, because we're like, Mm -hmm. come on out to the show, guys. (laughs) There's amazing things happening over here. Maybe when when the economy crashes in a few years, We'll be looking for things to do when uh, there's not as much garbage on on mm. television. Or I don't know. I mean, I, I live and die by technology, but at the same time, it's not the tool; it's how you use it. Correct. I totally agree with you. We need to get back in touch with why we are tool builders. We need to get back in touch with what tools it is that we're trying to build and why are we trying to build them. Yeah. Meaning and purpose in a meaningless, purposeless, mythless culture. We've sort of forgotten the myth of who we are. And I think the most prevalent myth that's showing up is the myth of what they showed in the movie The Avatar. Because, you know, this peaceful, loving, connected, intuitive, grounded being is being assaulted or, you know, um, is being totally wiped out by this thinking, greedy, logical, machine-like culture. And so we keep telling ourselves the story over and over again. I mean, it shows up in all of the, in, in many of the famous, you know, the big movies, including Star Wars. It's just like, you know, human versus intellect, human versus machine. And we're getting to that point where human and machine are getting closer and closer and closer. And so we're curious about what's going to happen. And we're also totally scared. So it's, it's a really beautiful time to be alive and to be bringing, you know, the voice, human voices together is such a healing, potent uh, medicine. And that's one of the taglines that we use for, uh, 80 Bells music, because we've been fi- trying to figure out what, what I do and how do we call it, you know, what is it? And um, the people who come to the shows and what's been showing up time and again is that muti- music is medicine. It is. I think yeah. that, and when you, and listening to music, you're, you're communing with the person who created it, if you really listen. One, one thing that, you know, it's, it's easy to lose sight of, but we all instinctively know it. When when the world not the world it's not the world when when we go online and 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 companies or uh media figures tell us that really you know at the end of the day we figured out that all people are is a series of behaviors in a meat bag and you can all be figured out by an algorithm somewhere and we'll just figure out what you need and want and we'll we'll feed it to you and you don't really need to make any choices we'll go ahead and take care of that for you you're you're just little robots just accept it and let's all be happy with what little you have as opposed to well no we're not 
We are people. And when you get together with real people and, and, and actually talk to those people, the people you're with, you realize, holy shit, no, I've never met the same person twice in my life. If we're so simple, if we're so reducible to just a series of numbers, then why is it that you do not see repeating individuals? You might find people of certain traits or, or styles, but that's because we like to find people we fit with. But that's different than saying that we are nothing. Right. That individually we are just matter. We're just objects. Because yeah. we're not. That's just the fallacy and the illusion of the materialistic world that we live in. Very, very dense materialist like materialist mindset at the current. It's like what's at the helm, you might say. Or it seems like it's the majority, but that's also completely biased by our corrupt media system. <laughs> The irony, well, the irony of it is that, they, that you say that and, and somebody will say, you socialist or, or communist. They'll go right to the ends of the earth to say, look, what you're saying is just totally not possible. It's like, well, let me tell you, like, was your grandmother or your grand were they, were they communists? Because I'm pretty sure they weren't. And if they were, I mean, well, there's nothing wrong with different, different ways of looking at things. But what I mean by that is the one thing we've lost more than anything else is a sense of personal and social responsibility, not just to doing your job or taking out the trash or whatever it is, but to each other. Hmm. There's no trust left in this world. Trust is now meaningless. Nothing, no institution left is something that we trusted. Think of any institution in your life. Do you trust the government? Do you trust companies? Do you trust the grocery store to give you food that isn't going to make you sick? Do you trust the church or that your preacher to tell you what really is true or just what he thinks do you trust your school do you trust even your own upbringing do you trust your parent like do you tr what do you trust mm, that's a great trust. question what do you trust because i think all of that is really just a setup for us to realize and connect with our quote whatever your your source of you know creative inspiration is whether it's god or spirit or or whatever that is it's like i think it's a setup for us to understand and to realize what real trust is what is actual absolute truth and it's personal that's the other thing is that it's what's true for me is not necessarily true for you definitely and i i think it's a whole i think it's just prompting for us to awaken to the fact that we are spiritual beings connected to an infinite intelligence source having a material human experience in my opinion to learn we're here to learn do you do any meditation or anything like that I do. Absolutely. My meditation's a little um, personal. I've sort of developed my own, you know, spiritual, what I would call spiritual practice. And it involves movement because I find that being in my body is the most um, effective way to being authentically who I am. At the end of the day, really, my, my measure of success is, was I authentically and purely myself? In all those instances, in all those moments, like bringing my mm -hmm. gift, was it was it me or was I, you know, wearing masks or avoiding things because of all the drama and all the whatnot? So mm -hmm. my meditation is more around um, yoga and movement of the body. That's what really stills my mind. I find that if I just sit down and meditate, you know, it's really hard to wrangle my mind into a stillness. But if I'm pushing myself through some series of asanas and really like getting in my breath, that's the more effective way of meditation. And then uh, usually after that, I practice because that's my other favorite meditation. I mean, playing the piano, just piano is a meditation. 
totally. because it takes me out of myself and it connects me back into my source. Um, and that's my favorite. And then, and then long walks, long walks in the woods. It's just, it's a way to just calm down, center, expand, and, um, connect up with what really brings me the most joy. Very applicable. I mean, I think that's the thing is everybody has this feeling that they need to like, if you want to be calm, if you want to meditate, if you want to be peaceful, you have to have this entire sort of lifestyle right but you could when you reduce it to something just take a walk oh totally take and a look walk. around look around you know connecting with an animal that's another thing is that in our very human-centric narcissistic worldview we we tend to look at all other beings and entities whether it's a tree or a dog or a cloud as you know background it's like oh it's my world i'm on the stage and the rest of the world is just this background of my existence and so when we actually take the time to connect with in an authentic way that's not um, inserting or asserting our will upon it, I mean, I find that there's a, there's a couple fields around my house and there's some, there's some horses and I go bring them apples and carrots every once in a while and just five minutes connecting, looking into the eyes of this being, just smelling, you know, the animal and being in its presence is so humbling and calming. It like brings me back into perspective, especially yeah. when I find that I'm running away with my mind, you know, freaking out about this and that and all the, the virtual anxieties that we have overlaid on our life. So connecting with uh, animal spirits is really another good one. Yeah. I think when you, when you start to gain that perspective of realizing that everything is connected in some way. And I, I really agree with what you're saying about just like, not only cause I think meditation has this sort of, I don't know, this stigma where, Oh, you just sit down and you breathe, you know, yeah. but like sitting down, be being aware of your breath or being aware that you're sitting in a space. And then, like you said, with the yoga, being aware of your body and moving, like moving around. I think that is sort of taking met, you know, meditation to a higher level, but I think a lot of people, they just, like you said, they treat the world like a background and not, I don't know, just like losing that connection with everything. I, I felt like it's, it's really easy to do that. Like I've sort of had those times where, you know, you lose perspective and like you, you go from point A to point B, but you don't look at the in-between, mm. you know, like I used to start doing these things where, you know, as soon as I would leave work and walk to my car, just look around and just like sort of be aware of everything and it starts to put you more into now yeah. instead of just kind of like oh I drove home I don't even remember driving you ever have those where, where sometimes like you just zone out and you're totally. like oh I, I drove but how did I get here yeah <laughs> and you're like and how did I even make it home safe like if I don't even remember driving you know it's just it's really developing an awareness I think totally and what I heard you say is that like we all do it. I mean, we weren't we weren't we're not we're not flawless. <laughs> it takes work to be yeah. a human. It takes work to be alive. Yeah. It takes work to be awake. And so I think one of the concepts that discourages a lot of people from a spiritual practice or a meditation like we were talking about is that they think they need to get it right or that they suck at it or whatever that is. I feel or like that you could even you could even be perfect at it. Oh, that right. It's even, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't even think that it's that it's attainable, but that's not why you 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 still do it. You go right. for it, right? So I think just starting somewhere and starting easy, you know, uh, having compassion for each other and other people and ourselves for when we forget, for when we, you know, lash out when we like act unconsciously, and then just bringing it back to center, being like, okay, hmm, that's not where I want to go. What do I want to do? 
Um, I think that the yoga and the meditation, especially on the West Coast, is super fashionable, which is great in a certain sense that, you know, people are getting into it and you buy your yoga pants and you're you're all expensive and, you know, you like have your thing. And I think all, all of this is just access points. Somebody might resonate with sitting down and going to a, you know, going to a meditation place and like sitting in silence for 10 days. Someone might really, that might be their access point, but everyone else has the, everyone's personal. You have your own areas of what resonates and what works for you in your lifestyle and who you are. So don't give up, find your access point. And for some people, you know, my best friend, when she's freaking out, she bakes, she makes something and puts it in the oven and it's just her deal, right? Like she just gets all calm and centered. She finds herself. She makes cupcakes or whatever. I would never do that. Not in a million years. That's not my access point. But it's just <laughs> as an example that like, you know, we don't have to be so rigid in our thinking about what is meditation and what is a spiritual practice. Anything is a, like everything in our lives is a ritual from washing your dishes to brushing your teeth to walking your dog. It's just that when we do it with an unconscious uh, posture, it's just another thing. But if we do it with some kind of demarcation that this is set apart from the rest of my day, that this is actually meaningful in a certain way, then we build a string of moments that actually mean something and create a life that is meaningful and filled with purpose. And that's the key to happiness. That Brilliantly definitely. put. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> Yeah. I am. Yeah. I am. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying with the music because there's times where, you know, of course, when you're in any sort of creative, you know, whether it's music or art, when you're sitting down at a blank canvas, it's easy to kind of get on yourself and be like, how come you're not putting totally. any paint on the canvas? <laughs> yeah. But the times where it, you know, the this pure sense of art comes through and you just kind of do your thing and sort of you know, you lose track of time. You know, there's times where I've worked on music four hours later, I sort of like come out of it almost like a meditation. I'm just like, you know, and you, you look at what you have in front of you, you're just like, like, did I do that? And mm. like, where did that come from? Because about four hours ago, I was thinking I could never write a song again in my life. And it's just, it's cool when you just kind of let yourself kind of go. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even, it doesn't even matter. Whether I yes. can never write a song again. And then that's when you tap into the well of creativity. Absolutely. Don't have this preconceived notion of sort of like what you think you're supposed to be doing or right. is anyone even going to like this? And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I, I mean, like you said, I definitely agree with finding your own sort of way of tapping into that. That's that's great. Another thing that stops, I think, uh, quote, ordinary people from taking up creative or artistic endeavors is that idea like, oh, I'm not an artist. Oh, I'm not a singer. I'm not a painter. I'm not a poet. I could never do any of those things. But in truth, like we all have the capacity to create. We are creators. That's what we do. That's what we do. Like what Mike was talking about with building tools. Um, it's just that they don't have a specific, like, it's not a routine. It's not a practice. It's not something that they, that they sit down and actually, uh, you know, engage in on a regular basis. And, uh, there's this brilliant book, uh, by Twyla Tharp, who is a famous modern dancer and a choreographer, and she's just an incredible woman. She writes about the habit of creating, of living a creative life, uh, regardless of if you think you're creative or musical or talented or whatever. And she talks about actually needing to set up time and space as if you were, you know, just like cooking a meal. You do it every day. Um, and creating space to where you can, like you were just saying, sort of slip into that innocent, it's like stumbling 
getting into art. You know, it's like mm -hmm. innocently, all of a sudden I was making art because I wasn't thinking that this was going to be this great virtuosic piece. Um, and so I really love that idea of creative living as, you know, a habit, as a ritual and the kind of things that you can do to train yourself to just open those creative doors and let something be, you know, let something be created from that. But it doesn't happen just sort of magically, like a lot of people think around creating music, especially. Well, how'd you come up with that song? You know, like what's going on? It's just, you must be visited by the genius. Well, yes. There are moments of being visited by the genius, but you know what? The genius found me working. That's why mm -hmm. it works. I love that saying of like, you know, inspiration comes, but it has to find you working, practicing. So I always encourage yeah. people who think that they're not musicians or artists or whatever the thing is to at least carve out some time. Like if you really want to know what it's like to have that joy of, of just unlimited creation, you must have some kind of discipline around creating space for it because it's not going to walk up and introduce itself to you. You have yeah. to make the make the space and and actually be willing to be vulnerable because that feeling of that blank canvas or that you know empty piano track it's a vulnerable feeling because you're like what's oh, yeah. on the edge of the abyss which goes back to our previous conversation about being stewards of the new paradigm and relaxing into the unknown how what is your relationship to the unknown you know asking I love asking my clients that question of like what do you do when the unknown comes. You know, do you clench up? Do you avoid it? Do you get mad? Like, what are your things? And the more you can watch yourself in that process, the more you can start to untangle those old uh, reactions, which is just conditioning from our culture, and really learn how to respond to the unknown in a creative way by being curious about it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, it's hard too, because sometimes I'll have conversations with people like, what do you like? What do you like to do? What What would you do if you could? You know, if, if you didn't have a job and you could just do one thing or a few things all day, what would it be? And a lot of times people just don't know, you know, and then like people go to college because they think they'll find it and then they, you know, end get up distracted. Money. Yeah. yeah. And then or, or they end up dropping out because they're like, I found out by doing this, this isn't what I want to do. And, and that's one of the things you just have to do stuff, you know, and like I've I've had uh, guitar students of kids that are like six years old and and uh, the parents would be like yeah he does karate he does soccer he does football and I'm just like how do they how do they find time to do all this does he actually like it they're like we don't care he's gonna find something that he likes but mm. you just like you're never gonna kind of know what connects with you unless you just try stuff but the people just have that insecurity that just says like nope no I, I can never do that or you mm. see people you know you know weightlifting tons of weight and they're like, I can never pick that up. It's like, well, you, like you said, you have to work toward it. Anything worth anything takes work. And a lot of times people are just scared of the work or scared that they just won't succeed. And, you know, it's just, you have to find that motivation, I guess. Yeah. We have a pretty cutthroat culture, so it's, it's intimidating. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Cause you can see so many people and everyone's so good at everything too. And <laughs> yeah, Seems or they like look like good. they're good on it because they have a filter on their Instagram feed. That's yeah. the other thing is it's all smoke and mirrors, baby. Nobody's living that perfect life, and no yet person. everyone's living the perfect life. When you when you put yourself toward a task, when you when you commit yourself to a direction, and then start laying down that inch at a time of progress, and everything you do, you build then upon. So that everything new you do is building on the skills you've just or the skills or progress you just made. It does not actually take that long. 
it's it's almost an exponential growth. And I think that's true of anything that you start to try to do. You know, there, there's this old saying that if you just, you know, whatever it is you want to master, 15 minutes a day, that's it. No, don't do more. If, if, if it's not something you have to do longer, just always do it. Mm. Wow, and, 15 and that, minutes. That's awesome. That's so doable. <laughs> if it you think so about good. the 10,000 hour <laughs> rule, that's going to take you uh, <laughs> yeah. a long time. It will take you a long time, but if it's every single day, yeah, it, well, you, yeah, ten thousand hours to become a master. Yeah, but if you want to become just excellent at it, right, it does not. It doesn't take ten thousand hours. Yeah, I promise yeah. you. That. I don't. I don't really believe in that either because I think, uh, depending on for certain people, just being able to pay attention on something like a certain task. I think some people it's harder for them to tune in on the key aspects of becoming good at something. Like if you're playing an instrument or something, you could be doing something for ten hours straight, but if you're doing it wrong, it doesn't really matter. Versus the no. people who take the time to really analyze the mechanics what can get there, you know, five thousand hours quicker. Or just some but people just naturally just click with it. So I think you know the I think people who naturally click with something part of what they they avoid is frustration. They go with the flow without necessarily but they're not trying to take the easy route either. You're sort of just I mean when you work on something in short bursts but consistently. I think that can help prevent frustration while at the same time allowing you to master the micro tasks that each real, you know, skill set require. So when you when you allow yourself to to focus and learn pieces, and then the next day instead of just relearning and repracticing that same piece, now use that piece toward something. Mm-hmm. Use that little skill toward something, yeah. uh, something bigger. Use it toward building the next skill. Yeah, that's a brilliant way of learning. I like that. I mean, I think it's the way we 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 all learn anyway, or we that's that's what we do anyway. So it's it's just a lot of times there's this fear of starting something new because you think, oh, to get good at it, I'll have to drop everything and just do it for two hours or three hours every single day for the rest of my life, or or however long it takes. Or like Craig, like you said, ten ten thousand hours. But think about this, you know, had you put in well, you, as a musician, probably the answer is yes. But had you put in ten thousand hours before your first show? Of course uh, not. Probably not. I don't even yeah. know if I've put in 10,000 hours now, probably doing a bunch of other stuff. No, <laughs> no, no. Just get out there and do it and suck yeah. if necessary. And then the next time you'll suck less if you keep keep banging your head at it, but not in such a way that you're saying, oh, this is just this this death march I have to go down. No. Mm. Yeah, I think just, the key is just finding the joy in the process Yes, and, Bingo. and letting go of the re- expectation of the results because that'll that's just a monkey. It'll lead you on and on and on mocking yeah. you as you do it because it'd be like every day that you're not reaching that result or feeling like you're getting appreciably right. closer yeah you're just feeling more and more demoralized right yeah. as opposed to just thinking wow this i'm getting better at this i'm this is getting more awesome mm-hmm. yeah i think that's more more of like a beneficial thing than thinking about how many hours you've done something because i think when you tell someone like something like a 10,000 hour thing to become a master at something that can immediately turn somebody off because you're, you're showing them, Oh, this is the process. So oh, see, like now you're thinking of that, like it's like getting into working out. You know, you think of, if you think of everything that it takes to, to finally get to a gym and work out, you're probably like, I don't even want to go, you know, versus <laughs> like just getting into it and doing it. So it's like, even something like that, like, I'm, I mean, I guess that helps people who need something to, to be scalable or be able to see but even then, it's just like just doing it. And when the 
when the little achievements come, like like oh, I can finally play that scale perfectly in you know in pitch, then working on to the next thing and just being being okay with like I did this and it was good, instead of like well I can't do all the other stuff. Don't f- forget all that. Just be happy with your achievements and then use that as sort of a motivator and. Yeah, I think it's exactly. hard. It's hard because we don't really have space in our culture set up for celebrating the wins, mm-hmm. the small wins. You know, it's like you were saying about the reward system is like if we take a moment to actually look back and go, wow, I've made it so far. Like, look at how far I've come. Um, then it actually instills like that feeling, that dopamine rush. And you get, you know, mm-hmm. you feel good about yourself. You build your confidence and that gives you strength and courage to move on. Exactly. Yeah. Baby steps. Baby steps. Well, you guys are awesome, man. We covered so much, uh, so much material today. <laughs> yeah, no. Awesome. I love chatting with you. It's really, it's really a great opportunity. Yeah, we're really excited to uh, to release the library. I think people are really, they're going to really invo- enjoy playing your voice, and um, uh, definitely worth checking out more of your music for folks um, who aren't familiar with it. Uh, it's it's really cool stuff. It's. Uh, excellently produced really lush honest music um so it's just it's just uh, a plus Mm, thank you so much i really appreciate that that Mm -hmm. means a lot to me we work hard to make good music yeah well keep doing it you're doing a good job i will yeah and i'm excited to get my uh my copy of the library so i can back myself up It's it convenience for you. I know. I'm really excited to check it out. I'm like, everyone's like, so wait, you're going to be able to play your voice behind your music? What? So, yeah, it's a new it's a new technology uh, for me. So I'm excited. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. I think you like the effects patches and stuff, the weird stuff you could do with your voice. Yeah, Yeah, those are great. Yeah, the effects patches are some of my favorite because it just immediately just holding a few keys down and just like. Yeah, it, it puts you in a space for sure. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. It's 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 it instantly otherworldly. Great. That's what we like. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been an awesome episode. And uh, be on the lookout for Voice of Wind 80 coming. Well, coming now, depending on when you are watching, listening to this show. Thanks for having me, Mike and Craig. Good to talk to you both. Yeah, very cool talking to you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. So I want to thank you guys for tuning into the Sound Iron Podcast. If you want to learn more about Voice of Wind 80, which is the solo vocal library that we just recently released with 80 Bell, make sure to go to our website at soundiron.com to learn more. And if you like these podcasts, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, or wherever we have it. And thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you guys next time.